You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romamu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So I know that um, by not being here last week, I missed all of you and I missed the community. I also apparently missed the minor snowstorm <laughs> minor emphasis on minor um, but I, I left on my way to participate in the Machon Hartman the Hartman Institute of Jerusalem's fellowship that which I'm a part of over the course of the last two years and two more years this was a winter retreat and a few colleagues Rabbinic colleagues and I had decided that we were going to go to Madrid on the way to Israel. And that was a big deal to me because I've never been to Madrid, to Spain. I've never been to Europe, maybe I think actually twice to Europe, but really feel Europe challenged. When I was uh, eight, 19 years old, my brother and friends, after their year in Israel, they took, took off for an adventure through the cities and the countries and the culture of Europe. And I wasn't with them. I stayed behind. I spent the entire summer learning Torah in a Beit Midrash in a study hall, trying to memorize and master Mishnah. I was trying to find and connect to a God, the God of the Beit Midrash, of the Jewish house of learning. That was the portal that I wanted to access the divine through. And so while I was standing, as it were, at Mount Sinai, they were walking through the world. I wish I had gone with them, and it's always rested with me, the desire to see where our ancestors, the great teachers of Spain, the great teachers of that period, where they had lived and breathed and taught what they had seen and heard. So that was the context for this trip. And upon arriving in, in Spain, in España, and being given a lisp that I now use prominently in all things, you'll hear me tonight saying, amazing, amazing. <laughs> upon being in Spain, I... <laughs> we spent the day in Madrid, and... We got ready to go to Toledo on the second day because Toledo was, of course, the, a major Jewish community was in Toledo. And so we disembarked at Toledo. We began walking from the bus station. We made our way to the walls of the inner city of Toledo where there was a Jewish quarter. And we were on our way to a very famous synagogue in Toledo when one of us went to the, the upon the wall of this inner city of Toledo, there was a there was a menu, and we were a little bit hungry, having been on the bus for an hour. And um, it was Middle Eastern food. Now, we hadn't had that much to eat over the first day because everything was with meat, and four rabbis walking into a Spanish restaurant saying, sin carne, sin carne, no meat, no meat. <laughs> so here we were in front of, um, like, stuffed, you know, stuffed grape leaves and falafel, and we were getting excited. And one of us said, no. We didn't come to Spain to eat Middle Eastern food. <laughs> and no sooner had that been said than out of this 
out of the restaurant, which was in the wall of the city, the old city of Toledo, the owner of the restaurant came traipsing down the ramp, found us looking at the menu and began to discuss with us. Getting talking, had a big, big Fu Manchu mustache and funky hair. And before we knew it, he was taking us and showing us that across the way from his restaurant, the oldest mosque in that part of Spain. And he walked over and he started talking about it. And he said, this mosque was built by Muslims in collaboration with Jewish mystics. So our ears perked up. He said the Sfirot, he said that word, the Sfirot, the energies of the Kabbalah, kind of a very technical term in Kabbalah, which of course made us even more interest, intrigued. The, the Sfirot are embedded in some way in this mosque. And even though I'm a Muslim, I, when I go in, I don't pray. I just sit and absorb the energies of this special place. So he said, oh, you're a Muslim? Where are you from? He said, from Aleppo in Syria. Now he had all of us. <laughs> so we, we went into his restaurant. And, and you know, it wasn't really ready. It was, it was more like a living room than a restaurant. And he quickly pushed things aside. And young guy, he was kind of energetic and getting ready. Doesn't know that we're rabbis. Doesn't know. And we sit down. And I'm sitting directly across from something that takes my breath away. I literally am thrown back in my seat as I look at it and I scream, what is that? And on the wall in the corner of this man's restaurant, I guess it's his living room restaurant, on the walls of the inner city of Toledo, there is a silver plaque with an engraving of the Rambam, Maimonides, in the upper left corner. An engraving of Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the greatest Jewish mystic in the bottom left. In the top right is Baba Sali, the great mystical rabbi from, from Yemen. And in the bottom right, Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzera, his father. And I am mishtahe, my mouth, my jaw drops wide open. He comes in, he hears me grasping, he says, what is it? What's wrong? And I said, that, that picture that picture on the wall. He said, yes. I said, there are four rabbis on the picture. He said, oh, really? <laughs> and he said, what are their names? And I named them. And I get to the last one, Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzera. And he steps back also. And he starts to shake. And he starts saying, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And now, my rabbi friends to my left are beginning to have a moment here. <laughs> I had a general sense of what was happening, but, you know, one of my dear friends, I'm not going to name him, um, he admitted later on that he was about to bolt. <laughs> and then this is the kicker. He says, wait here, I'll be right back. Which when my friend told his mother that, she was like, and you left, right? <laughs> he comes, he comes, he goes over here, he comes running back in, and he's got a book. He's got a book, and he's shaking, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. 
and he turns the book to us, and it's Spanish, so we're like, okay, and then we keep looking, and there in Hebrew it says, Sipur Chayav Venisim Shel Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzera. There's a book um, translated into Spanish with the life and the miracles of that very rabbi that was coincidentally on the silver platter that he didn't even know was on the silver platter. He had been given this book by a friend of his and told him that this saint, the book and the saint, would perform miracles for him. It was a moment where all of us began to, I mean, we were crying. What are the odds? I don't know. Maybe you'll tell me later that the same thing happened to you. <laughs> what are the odds? I turned to my friend and I said, this is the very definition of what is known in the Kabbalah as Ha'alat Nitzotzot. This is the very definition in the Kabbalah of the raising or releasing of sparks. I said, I am absolutely sure that there is a reason for us to be here on this wall. There is an absolute reason for us to have been, for some reason, inexplicably drawn into this man's home to hear that he was a practicing Sufi who loved Rumi and Kabir and who knew of Rabbi Zalman. On the walls of the inner city of Toledo, an outsider and another outsider, insiders, outsiders on the very periphery, on the wall itself, met. Who could have known that when we looked at him and sized him up, that he would be presenting us with a book about Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzera? And that was in my mind when I went to Jerusalem the next day with my friends. And of course, the theme of the, of the week-long retreat was a theme of rabbinic relationship to the outsider and to assimilation and acculturation, accommodation, when we were the minority or we are the minority, whether in the Roman period or the Greek period or here in America, what is the relationship, positive or negative, towards outside influences? That was what our theme was. So that Shabbat morning, this past Shabbat, which many of you know was a very special Shabbat called Shabbat Shirah, the Shabbat of singing the song of the sea as the Israelites made their way through and the sea split and they broke out in song. We decided, a few of us, that even though Jerusalem is like the Baskin Robbins of synagogues, There are so many different flavors. We thought in the spirit of outside and inside of the unfamiliar and the familiar that we would make our way, and here the story is interesting, to a different expression of Aleppo, Syria. Not the Muslim Aleppo, but the Jewish Aleppo. And we went to the synagogue of the Aleppo Syrian Jewish community in Jerusalem to hear how they chanted the Song of the Sea. And we came into this magnificent structure with the, the song, the salsalot, the, the beautiful rendition of their chazanut, of their cantorial tradition. I sat there for the first half hour mesmerized by the voice of the cantor, which seemed to be from heaven. I couldn't see his face. I could only see him from behind. His talit was drawn over his head. And he was, he was so beautifully moving to his, the rhythms that were being played. About 25 minutes into the service, 
my friend came over to me and said, David, you have to see this. Come. I was sitting behind the canter, and he was sitting to my left. And I walked over to his seat, and I couldn't believe my eyes. This beautiful chazan was completely blind. He was using a braille sidur. A braille sidur. And it struck me at that moment in such a deep way that conversations about inside and outside, conversations about familiarity and unfamiliar, conversations about what's known and what is not yet known are almost always conversations about perception, seeing only one piece of a story, not seeing the front of something, not having access to it. And it reminded me, of course, of a question that every year at this time I I think about. Every year at this time of the year when we are about to read Matan Torah, the receiving of Torah on Mount Sinai, what is known in Chazal as Ma'amad Har Sinai, standing at Sinai, standing again at Sinai, standing at Sinai. We stand at the foot of the mountain but it is always, always preceded by an amazing story, an amazingly innocuous, it's, it's such a, an interesting story, but I'm always complex, I'm perplexed by its presence. Last week, the splitting of the Red Sea, the story of Amalek, of that nation that would, that surprised the Israelites and tried to kill them. And here we are about to arrive at Sinai, the very purpose to some extent of the release from Egypt, and we are introduced to the father-in-law of Moses. Vaishma Yitro Kohen Midian, and Yitro, the priest of Midian, heard. He heard everything that God had done for the Israelites in Mitzrayim. And we are introduced to Yitro's presence in the life of Moses and, his, and his, his legal advice. He tells Moses, right? Some say the, the content of it is clear. He says to Moses, you can't do this alone in words that echo the only other actor, the other character of the Bible to say you can't do something alone who was God. God said, Lotov Adam Levado. And here Yitro comes along and says, Lotov Hadavar Shaitar said, It's not good. The content of Yitro's advice becomes law. Some say Yitro is placed here to teach us in a triumphalist reading that even the foreigner, the outsider, the, the non-Jew comes upon hearing the miracles of, of Egypt to come receive the God of the Israelites, and to become a gear to convert. Some say that Yitro here is the power of the Abraham model. He leaves the place of familiarity to go out into the desert. And so too, all of us should also leave the familiar to go out and to receive that which isn't at home, that which isn't comfortable. But let me get this and let this be clear. It is by no means obvious what, that Yitro 
is coming before the Torah. There's a disagreement, a machloket, between the rabbis whether or not Yitro's presence preceding the revelation at Sinai is really chronologically appropriate. According to Rashi and others, Ein mukdam Torah, Yitro has to be after Mamad Har Sinai, after the revelation at Sinai. Why is it here? They don't explain. The more obvious reading, of course, is that it takes place before, just as it's written, chapter 18. And as such, everyone, let's get this clear. The name of the Parsha is named after a non-Jewish father-in-law who was a priest in Midian. And before we receive the Torah, we interrupt this revelation to give you a revelation by Moses' father-in-law. Not sure if we get that. We are just... We have just left Egypt. We are almost at the foot of Sinai, and the Torah interrupts with a priest from Midian and tells us that he gave Moses law, law that could have easily been given in another chapter, law that is given from the mouth of Yitro, not the mouth of God, and we have two revelation stories. The revelation of Yitro, the foreigner, and the revelation of God. It's as, it's if... I hope you're feeling the tension with me in the text. It's as if the Torah is saying, if you want to stand at the foot of Sinai and to hear God's voice, you have to first hear Jethro's. And even more powerfully, I want to bring in the Ramban. The Ramban, who disagreed, Nachmanides, the great Spanish commentator who lived in that area of Spain. Ramban says to Rashi, this definitively took place before the giving of Torah. Not like you, Rashi, who put it later for your own reasons. And it's for one lesson, Ramban says. Because last week, as we left Egypt, we were running and Amalek, the enemy, came upon us. And the Ramban says, lest you think that everyone in the world is like Amalek. Along comes Yitro now, before Torah, to say, you want to receive Torah? You have to know that there are people in the world like Yitro. Just because you had a bad experience with Amalek, just because you were running away from the Egyptians, Yitro has Torah to teach too. Yitro has Torah to teach. I brought the menu back from, <laughs> from the restaurant. On one side it says halal, and on the other side, it says kosher. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about that wall. I can't stop thinking about that chazan, that cantor. I can't think, th stop thinking about the Muslim and the Jew, each one from Aleppo, wondering if maybe at one point they were one family, wondering if maybe at one point Jethro and Sinai were one. But I hear the Ramban's teaching in my heart saying, if you want to receive Torah, the Torah that you receive has a precondition. The precondition of Torah is that what happened to you last week isn't exactly what will happen to you next week. And that the one who hurt you yesterday will not necessarily be the one 
who loves you tomorrow. And as I walked in the streets of Jerusalem and learned the text of inclusion and exclusion and met with Knesset members and spoke with them about the Israel that ought to be and the Israel that can be, an Israel that still will not recognize liberal rabbis like myself as legitimate rabbis, even though the Knesset members whom we sat with said, you're doing the most important work in the Jewish world, you liberal rabbis from North America. <laughs> and then we said, well, will you honor our conversions and our weddings and other things? That's another matter. A world where... where inevitably we have to draw boundaries, but we often forget that the person on my right and the person on my left are just related because I've made the boundary between them, and I'm on the left of somebody else and on the right of somebody else. Boundaries move, and Torah evolves. And in my own heart... I want to charge you and to charge me to take a moment now and think. Think about the faces of those individuals whom you'll see tonight. The day before Sinai. The face before Sinai. The revelation before Sinai. So often we wait for sacred moments we recognize mountains and we recognize theophanies, big flames and light shows. Moshe learned Torah from his father-in-law who wasn't even Jewish. So who's going to teach you Torah tonight? Who's going to teach you Torah tomorrow and the next day? May God bless each and every one of us that when we meet the stranger, there's a part of us that says, maybe, maybe this person will lead me to a treasure trove of sparks that need to be released. Maybe the person who's singing that song has a face that I need to, to look at. May the Torah of Yitro, the Torah of all of those who come from afar, who look different, who speak differently, but whose Torah is no less important than the Torah of Sinai be heard. And let us say, Amen.